I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with none other than one of my own colleagues, Ivy Sabova, who is Principal Ecology of Wildwood Ecology and uh, in our lovely Cotswold office. So uh, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast, Ivy. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, you got such far. You know, so you had a, a long distance to travel today. I mean, to come into the office. Twenty-three minutes. Twenty-three minutes. Okay, and, and uh, the schools are back now, aren't they? So, yeah, uh, yeah, they are. Well, we're going to be talking a lot about, I suppose, the past couple of years mm-hmm. in terms of since you've been with us at Wildwood Ecology, but also, I suppose, your role as principal ecologist. But before we get to that. I've got a few quick fire questions, which I ask every single guest. So, um, so you, you, you know, you're not different to anyone else. You'll get also these quick fire questions. Nice grilling, okay. Go so, is it grilling? Yeah, these are very tough questions. So, these, these are going to be the hardest questions. If you thought your interview questions were difficult, these are going to be a lot harder. So, uh, are you ready for basically very little preparation? Are okay. you ready? Okay. So, the first question: habitats, species, or ecosystems? Which one would you go for if you had to choose? Mm, species. Okay, good one. Okay, and species, plants or animals? Mm, um, animals. And leading on to that, then, if animals, birds or mammals? Mammals. Okay, okay, good. That's an easy one. That's just a, that's an icebreaker to get you into things. Second one, very tri- tricky: running or hiking. Oh, tricky one. Can I, is there a yes or no answer? It has to be, yeah. Oh, running, running. Running, yeah, why running? Um, I think it just, it's brilliant what it does to your mind, or my mind, you know, it's really good for distressing, very good for um, composure, very good for uh, preparing me for um, focus time, for instance. Um, it's really good for uh, well, physical fitness as well. Uh, and also I like the calmness that it brings as well. I can yeah. have time to sort things out. And sometimes it's very similar to life as well, just like one foot in front of the other. When you think you can't go any further, then you find that last bit of reserve to get you up the hill. That's why I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hill running, specifically. And you, and you have quite a few hills where you live yeah, as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I, I, I tend to stick to the flat. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like running, um, but um, it has to be a level service. Really, you know, per se. No, no, I, I do go I uphill do occasionally. My knee's not brilliant now, though, so I've been doing more hiking than running, but again, really steep hills, so um, it's hills, I think. Hills is the answer to, <laughs> to that question. <laughs> and right now, this is, a, this is a little bit of a tricky one for you, but um, if you had to choose one of the following hobbies or pastimes, which would it be? Would it be books? Would it be music? Or would it be films? Books. Okay, and... Um, why books then? Why out of those, why out of those three books? Oh, because you can imagine anything you want in those books as well. So you can set your own scene, you can imagine what the characters look like, nothing is prescribed for you, so you can basically let your imagination run riot. And it's also, I, I like the fact you can escape in something completely different. 
Um, you, can, you can have your own world that you create within that book itself. It takes you away from your normal life, that's what I like about books. And also it can be like other people's experiences, it could be you know, fiction, non-fiction, learning from other people. It's, it's a really fantastic resource, I think, for understanding kind of the human condition as well. That's why right. I like those kind of books. Wow, okay. So um, which book are you reading? Or what are your favourite authors then? I was a very precocious um, kid, so I was reading things like, you know, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and Chekhov when I was about you know, 12, 13, you know, <laughs> being brought up in former, um, you know, uh, communist um, countries. So um, I like that kind of stuff. I like, like classics, but also like, uh, you know, contemporary um, literature. So I'm a member of a book club, so we uh, we read um, all sorts of books, really, um, depending on, you know, what people recommend. Um, uh, so yeah, so really looking forward to Sally Rooney's um, new book. I um, just read a really nice interview uh, with her uh, in The Guardian about fame actually and um, you know, uh, the reluctance of, of, of famous um, writers. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, I like, I like a mix really, quite eclectic. Excellent, excellent. Wow. Okay, well I'll, so, so I'll have to get a few recommendations off you then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the last one was uh, Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. The um, Bell Jar, right. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, get, I'm getting a lot of recommendations for books, so that's really good, yeah. Because <laughs> I tend to stick to, unfortunately, really boring, sort of business related books, non fiction. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I need to get out to sort of, a, yeah, get a few more fictional books. And Those are good, you know, for in terms of your professional development because you can learn, you know, things about how to operate better or how to be more um, efficient or how, how you can make the business function better or, you know, pick up tips about people management, time management, but I like the fiction for, for that reason, that it just allows you to escape from, from normal life into something completely different and find out about other people's lives. Mm. Kind of the, the way we live is, is a very, just a very singular experience of our own lives and our own experiences and our own window on the world. So by reading fiction, I find that it's that window on the, on the world is, is, is enlarged because you can get other people's experiences. So whether it's you know, made yeah. up or, or true, but we're all the same underneath, but you know, it's, it's nice to have other people's experiences um, and, and thoughts and feelings, um, and yeah, and, and the whole world that you know a good novelist can create. I really enjoy that. Great, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll just stuff the bookshelf later on. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, um, your best and worst subjects at school. Uh, best would have been what well, I love biology. Um, really liked biology. And that was natural history in those days. That's at primary school. Uh, didn't particularly like physics. Um, mm. The teacher wasn't very inspiring. Um, she's a long retired, so it doesn't matter if I say that. <laughs> but she wasn't a very inspiring teacher. Uh, yes, there was natural history, uh, chemistry I liked as well, and also loved languages. So um, Slovak lit and Russian. We had to learn Russian at school. That was a compulsory second language. Right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I love languages. Excellent. Okay. Well, you'd be pleased to hear that's the end of those sort of uh, topic questions. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting a different kind of grilling, but this is fine. That's fine. Okay. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll send the results later on. So uh, you know, we can have we can have a quarterly review of, of those results. <laughs> okay. So um, on with the sort of the serious questions now. So um, I, I mean, you've been with Wildwood Ecology for a couple of years now, and I just want to sort of. Um, Look at the journey before you came to Wildwood and see, you know, you know, growing up, you sort of the, the sort of um, the influences you had in your early life, and um, moving to the UK. So perhaps paint us a picture of what it was like, um, you know, growing up and um, you know before and, and moving to the UK before and then before you became principal ecologist with Wildwood Ecology. 
Well, I grew up in a tiny little village um, in Slovakia, and it's literally in the foothills of what is now a national park called Slovak Karst. Um, I didn't realise how special it was in terms of its nature designation or uh, protection, you know, like a designated site when I was little. All I knew was that we had hills all around us, there was a massive plateau which has wolves, lynx, wildcats, um, wow. you know, it's, it's a quite, quite special landscape, but to me that was just normal, that was the backdrop to all our play was, uh, was, the, was the plateau. So we spent lots of time, as you can imagine, there was no telly in those days. We had one a story for children, um, a bedtime story, and then about an hour of children's programmes on Sunday mornings, uh, in black and white still in those days. And uh, yeah, we had nothing else to do. There was no internet, there were no mobile phones to distract us, so all I had was uh, either you know, books to read, or go outside and play, either on my own or, or with my friends. So we spent lots of time making dens, making dams, going out um, foraging for mushrooms and herbs or um, you know uh, wild uh, raspberries with my with my maternal uh, grandmother and also her sister so those two were uh, really important influences in my early um, upbringing because they were always outside always loved being up on a plateau and you know teaching me about herbs and uh, trees and wildlife that we saw um, scat that you you find um, my great um, uh, my great gra uh, granny and uh, so my, my great um, aunt and, and my granny as well, they would take me up with them and they also had an allotment so we were kind of just out, out a lot and I used to go camping with my uh, great aunt and her children who were about 10 years older so you know I remember still having a fire up on the plateau with, uh, with my uh, mum's cousins and seeing glowworms for the first time for instance and hearing mm. all the, you know, the owls and foxes and hearing animals moving in the undergrowth, uh, hearing wolves you know uh, howling in the distance, it's, it's quite an amazing yes, childhood really yeah. so it's perhaps a little surprised that I gravitated towards natural um, history and, um, and loving wildlife and being outside. And then uh, coupled with that, at my primary school, uh, we had a really good biology teacher or natural history um, uh, teacher uh, who was really inspiring and she really you know, got me fired up about um, the natural world. And also I was really lucky that the village where my primary school was, um, we had uh, um, the headquarters of the national park, um, which is now a national park. It was a protected landscape area in those days. And the, there was a really amazing botanist um, called Cheta Milka, um, we called her, which means just Auntie, Auntie Mili. <laughs> so everybody's an auntie or an uncle in Slovakia, yeah. just like an older person. Um, and she was really amazing. She, uh, she was running a natural history club for, for the kids at primary school, um, which I was a member of. And she would take us out on little rambles around the village. Again, showed us you know, special plants, um, explained about animals, uh, talked about you know, how nature works and how everything fits together, how it didn't know the word ecosystem services in those days, but that's what we kind of we were examining as children. And because she was spending time with us and she took the trouble to answer questions and she was encouraging uh, people to be, you know, inquisitive and um, you know, just have have discussions and 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 observe. You know, just be out there, yeah. be silent, uh, and just watch. You know, which is a really good skill as an ecologist. Observe what there is. Observe why is it different. Why these tiny signs? You know, who made them? Like, what what animal has passed through this, or why this plant is growing exactly in this position rather than you know, two hundred meters away. And again, because it's a Slovak Karst National Park. The, the flora and fauna is amazing. It's all based on you know limestone, so um, it's 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 really special. Um, the, the you know the calcareous flora that we have there again didn't know it then, but it's it's really amazing for for botanizing. It's it's really great. So perhaps it's really not surprising that I ended up gravitating towards biology at secondary school as well. Um, I took my A levels in biology and other subjects as well, 
and then uh, ended up um, gaining a place at um, Komenius, well, Komenius University, which is the University of Komenskeho in Bratislava, which is the capital city of Slovakia. And I did my master's there um, for five years, um, and it was an environmental sciences degree. So um, that's how I kind of got into conservation and, and ecology by, by doing that degree. And how popular were those courses then, so environmental science? So how many other students were on those courses at the time, can you remember? We had 20 students in my year and we were literally year two of, of that course starting, so it was a brand new thing that just started because I think it was recognised that um, ecology will become an important uh, uh, you know, subject and making sure that we can live in harmony with our natural environment was already recognised um, that you know, it will be crucial to our survival as a species really. So it was a brand new course and we were literally like I said year two of, of a cohort. Mm -hmm. So year before us was also about 20, um, 20 students so they're quite small um, the, the courses and people came from all over the country because that was the, like I said, the, only, the only course that was running at that time um, as a kind of trial to see whether, whether it worked. Um, so yes, I got my master's in, in that. Was, it, was this, I mean, um, uh Late 80s, early 90s? When was um, this? Early, early 90s, yeah. So I graduated yeah. early 90s um, and uh, then came over to England. I did everything backwards, Richard, so I had yeah. my children very young. <laughs> so I was also kind of the youngest at, um, uh, at the maternity hospitals with both my children. So um, while the kids were small, I was working in the family business and also I was on a town council as a Green Party councillor. Uh, for um, for a ward in, in Stroud and that was really brilliant because I was on planning committee which I also didn't realise how mm. important that was yeah. going to be to my job later on. So I was a vice chair of planning and chair of youth and community and... Um, well just before you go on. back to that, sorry to jump back, but uh, in terms of, I mean, at that time career opportunities, what you know, what sort of role were you looking for at that point or, or um, you know, back in, um, back in uh, Slovakia? Um, in, it's like well, I finished my university degree when I came here, so yeah. I already had a baby. Uh, again, don't do it this way, but I had a baby in year five <laughs> of my degree, so having to do your finals with a tiny baby who's trying to slobber on your you know, botany <laughs> boxes, so it's, 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 it's not that easy. I managed to you know, still get a first, so um, so I finished my uh, finished my uh, degree um, remotely while I was here. So I already knew at that that's point that when I got my degree that I will be working in the UK because right. this is where my family was um, rather than going over to Slovakia. And again, because it was a quite young industry um, in Slovakia, so my friends from, from that cohort ended up doing anything from conservation for national parks to doing something completely unrelated in business. Uh, I've got a friend who works for the Slovak government, for instance. I've got friends who moved abroad and work in similar industries or something completely unrelated. So, um, you know, the ecology uh, didn't exist in a, in a form that we know it here, for instance. But there were no consultancies in those days in Slovakia to, to go to. So my option would have been to go back to, um, to my hometown and work in the uh, National Park headquarters, uh, which was, you know, something I, I explored uh, with, uh, with, with that, you know, lovely um, inspirational leader that I, I had when, when, I was, uh, when I was a child. So I would have been working in conservation for a national park and um, helping with, uh, you know, biodiversity creation and, and preservation, running uh, community events and also, um, you know, looking at how to manage uh, conflict with, you know, tourism and, um, you know, uh, hikers in, in national park, uh, what facilities they needed. So I'll be doing that, that kind of stuff and, and doing, you know, um, baseline surveys of, of various nature reserves and mm -hmm. uh, within the national park to make sure that the, the flora wasn't being damaged by um, by, by tourists and, and the, you know, the wildlife was still able to kind of flourish in the, in the habitat that, were, that was available. So I would have gone down the conservation route simply because that was that was all of that was all available yeah. in those days. Okay, okay. So yeah, yeah, so bring this forward now to your time in Stroud then. 
Um, so yeah, um, so I was working in a um, in our family business while the children were small and um, on the town council as a, a councillor. I just felt a really nice way of giving something back to my local community because I felt like I was being, I was welcomed with open arms, um, you know, it was uh, really nice and friendly. Um, lots of people I managed to find and it feels like I found my niche in Stroud because the people who are there, they're very political, they're very arty. They really care about the environment, so it's like a nice, nice mix of you know thinkers, doers. There's always something happening there, so it felt like a really nice way of contributing something back to the community by being on the town council. Mm. And I uh, had a time I stayed there for for about seven years on a, a planning committee, which is actually super useful um, as an ecologist because I already had an understanding of how uh, planning works. And uh, also, I was a chair of um, youth and community, where again we were administering grants to local organisations and um, you know, dealing with uh, various community groups being set up or festivals and things, things like that um, that were happening in Stroud at that time. So, and then I got a, I started volunteering for a local um, environmental charity uh, where the focus was uh, on creation and improvement of uh, urban green spaces. So I was running um, a bunch of volunteers, um, people from all walks of life. There were lots of people who had boring desk jobs and wanted to do something creative at weekends and make hedgerows or you know ponds or um, you know, clean out a, a nice green space of all the rubbish from from streams and things like that. Or and also we had people who were recovering from mental um, you know illness or um, they were recovering from substance uh, misuse as well. So it was a mixed bag of people that you know you never knew who was going to turn up um, to volunteer sessions. Um, we had some older people um, in the community as well. Worked with schools, for instance, did um, you know um, nature nature walks for schools. Uh, again, trying to get the new generation of children um, enthusiastic about, about wildlife and nature, and uh, run um, you know growing clubs with kids as well, um, summer clubs for for children as well. So there was a nice mixed bag of, of things we were doing. So it was uh, the focus, like I said, was about biodiversity, and then I got my new license actually through through that job um, because we had a great crested newt pond that we were monitoring. And that then turned out to be crucial for my next job because I, I got my job as an um, ecologist um, you know, to, to work on a large infrastructure project where lots of new surveys were, were needed. So the reason I left that previous job was because um, the funding stream has changed. So it used to be, funding used to be given for biodiversity uh, work. So we were using people's muscle power and know-how and willingness to, kind of to, to put time into making uh, green space better. Uh, to uh, the, the focus then changed 180 de you know, degrees to um, mental health improvement. So the, it was a, still the same projects, people were still improving green spaces and getting people out on nature walks, but the focus and the uh, key performance indicators were all about um, improving mental um, and you know, physical well-being of people rather than improving biodiversity. And it was just, in you know, one year, just got really hard to get a particular grant. Uh, so I had to you know, look for, for another job um, and then I got this job as an ecologist, consultant ecologist in a different company. So um, in terms of time scale then, so what, what, whereabouts was this in you know, what year, can you remember which year that was? It was uh, early noughties, right. um, so yeah, so... Um, so how long were you with um, you know, this um, community group then for? You know, seven years. Seven years, seven okay, years. so seven years of working with that group there and you also were a... Um, Councillor as well? Was that I group? was a councillor when my kids were very small. So actually, funnily enough, I actually had more time um, in the evenings when the children were very small because yeah. they went to bed early. So I was a councillor also for seven years. Um, and then, yeah, I was at, at the um, a charity for, for seven years as well. Mm. So there I progressed from 
um, being in charge of volunteer groups to uh, being a biodiversity officer where I was running projects. Um, like I said, they were all kind of aimed at improving biodiversity and also uh, lots of um, adult education. So I also did my diploma in um, adult education while I, while I was at the charity. And um, that's also coming in handy now. For instance, every toolbox talk you do, you need to be able to structure it also with mentoring um, you know, colleagues and uh, you know, training colleagues as well. Um, it's, it comes in very handy because I'm, I'm you know, also kind of like a te teacher by, um, you know, by yeah. proxy, really. Mm -hmm. I had, had to do this um, teaching degree um, to be able to do adult education uh, programmes as well. So I did that too. Because what I'm getting so far uh, is that, um, you know, you, you were, you know, when you were growing up in Slovakia, it was... Uh, um, you were mentored, so you had mentors around you, had role models yeah. around you as well, and sort of, I mean, I say that that, that encouragement you were given mm -hmm. seems to me like you know you sort of I suppose you, is that is that why you went into sort of like community work to sort of I don't know pay back something, but or it, 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 it seems a very large part of you is driven by that you know helping other people. Mm. You know, is, so do you think that's, that's something that's maybe have um, uh, evolved in your in the early years? I, th I think it, it was a hugely, you know, huge contributing factor because um, the only reason I ended up going into ecology, uh, and I'm to, I have to say, uh, to this date, I'm still the only person from my village who's got a degree of, yeah. of any kind. So, because I was given that encouragement by my uh, primary school biology, th biology teacher and secondary school biology teacher as well, and uh, my role model from, from, national, from, from national, national Park and my um, great um, aunt and my, and my granny, I saw these amazing women you know, doing, having a career in, in conservation or, or at least you know, my family uh, role models, they were all really, nature was an integral part of, of their life, they wouldn't be able to probably put it into words why it was so important to them, but they were outside every single day of their lives because it was really helping and, and they really loved being outside and, and watching watching the wildlife. So because I was I had really good role models and I was mentored myself, I know what difference it can make to a to a young person mm -hmm. and to their life outcomes and having a you know lovely job uh, with you know good career prospects and something that is really satisfying and really um, amazing to work in. It's like no two days are the same. It's having this kind of a job where you're constantly learning something new. You can grow yourself as a person and help other people grow. It's like what you know. There's nothing better I can I can think of. Yeah. So yeah. So it was largely I think um, because of those people I had in my life early on who encouraged me and who could also spot that spark that you know I was bright and I was um, able to you know get the degree I needed to get into this kind of work and also looking at options like you know ecology was a brand new thing and they recognised that. Natural history was really important to me, and biology was really important to me. So they actually helped me figure out what kind of degree would be a good fit for for my um, you know for my skill set as well as for my mindset, like what kind of stuff I like doing. So and I'm just trying to give something back to the new generation of ecologists now to um, help them to find that you know find that passion. Really, it's it's really important to fire up you know kids before they get to the age of screens <laughs> yes. taking over. Oh, I knew this conversation would be great. So uh, let's 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 move on slightly in terms of. Uh, so you now you, you you mentioned about uh, your first role in the consultancy. Mm -hmm. um, so um, what sort of things were you involved with during that time? So it was a large engineering consultancy. Um, so we we had a couple of um, uh, teams that I was uh, supporting, um, and uh, the my role was primarily to to uh, carry out um, a phase two surveys and phase one surveys on a big infrastructure project, which was actually M4 um, to, to start with. 
uh, for managed motorways. So we did lots of um, you know everything you can imagine: reptile surveys, dormouse surveys, great crested newt surveys, bat surveys, phase one surveys as well um, with experienced colleagues. And um, yeah, it was it was great. Just you know, out out on site all the time. Uh, we were literally kind of stay, stationed in uh, travel lodge in, in Reading or yeah. either eastbound or westbound. Nice running country is all around there. So whenever I wasn't working, I would go for for, for a nice run. My colleagues were laughing that you know we literally do like a fifteen kilometer, twenty kilometer walk during the day to uh, gather in some you know dormouse tubes or check some reptile mats, and I would head off for a run in the evening just to just to kind of you know uh, just get get some uh, get some exercise. So. So that's what I was doing to start with, and then um, as role progressed, I was doing more uh, project management of um, smaller projects because I was a consultant at that stage. So doing lots of work in Scotland um, as well on, on otters and, and water voles. Um, um, yeah, and then uh, the company was bought um, by an American company, and um, they were going through restructuring. So um, I looked for a job elsewhere. Uh, and uh, just so like, before you get on, so in terms, I mean, in terms of gaining those skills, mm -hmm. you know, you had your mute license from the previous role. But I mean, was it a lot of shadowing of an ecologist, or was it on training courses? You know, how, how did you learn the role, the job as an, an consultant ecologist? Okay, uh, there was some shadowing involved, but because I was out on site a lot the first season, um, I was training up another. Um, uh, it was training up a graduate um, myself, so lots of the stuff I had to kind of I knew already. A lot of the stuff I had to figure out myself. If there wasn't. If I didn't know something, I knew I had people to, to ask. So there were kind of more senior people who were helping with, with training. Um, and then I was also doing lots of training in my own time for my bat license. So I already recognised that I needed a bat license to progress um, in my role as well. And I just I became a member of the bat group. I very swiftly got onto the committee as well. So I was organising um, events, and which I still do I still do now for Gloucestershire Bat Group. And I met again like lots of really amazing people uh, through the bat group and um, through my job as well were really willing to give the time, answer questions, you know, answer a million stupid questions in, in, in a day and uh, you know just help me kind of get the skills I, I needed. Um, there was no kind of formal training in terms of my project management but I think I know I was quite organised and because I was more I, I wasn't straight out of university I already had life skills which yeah. meant transferable skills as well. So um, I wasn't kind of I didn't have any any formal training about project management or anything like that, but it's stuff that I kind of was, was already familiar from, you know, from running a family and a household and being on a council and uh, helping the family business as well, so I already had some of those transferable skills as well. And the, and the BAT licence again, that was, um, all the training I had was um, in my free time, every weekend when I could get an invite out with somebody who was doing trapping or, um, you know, BAT box checks or uh, also um, underground um, hibernation checks. So my first, you won't believe this, Richard, but the first bat I ever handled was a greater horseshoe. <laughs> <laughs> just like, okay. right, I didn't yes. realise just how special this was, but we were yeah. doing uh, hibernation checks in um, in the mines, disused mines in Forest of Dean, and um, yeah, we were just processing processing the bats because they were being you know tagged and not tagged, but they had they were ringed and you know checking the rings and weighing them, processing them to see whether we had a re recaptured bat. So we had data. Um, from from um, you know from those surveys about greater horseshoes, less of horseshoes, and the first bat I literally ever held in my hand was a female greater horseshoe. Well, I think <laughs> there's a lot of people out there going to be jealous of that, <laughs> yes. you know, especially further north we go. Further north we go. Yeah. Yes, the, the more jealous people will be. But it was just really nice. Again, I would encourage people to. 
you know, look at things like what groups have you got in your local area? Have you got a bat group? Have you got an amphibian group? Have you got a dormouse group? Because you'll be getting loads of exposure to um, different, you know, species and, and species groups as well. And working with loads of knowledgeable people, again, who are really you know, free with their time and with their advice. And are, again, hugely inspirational people yeah. who work with in, a, in a bat group were just really amazing how much time they gave to you know, to bat conservation um, and, and training the new generation of, of ecologists was, was really humbling as well, just to see, you know, how, how, how much they care and how, how willing they are to give their free time to make sure that there is a new cohort of ecologists who will be carrying on with those surveys when they can't do them anymore. Sure, yeah. No, I think it's about, you know, groups, species mm -hmm. groups, habitat groups and the even generally environmental groups are extremely important for us mm -hmm. to yeah, gain that knowledge and understanding of, of um, you know, uh, you know, the natural world, but also if you, if it's how you go into something, is it? So if you're going into it, I just want my license. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think you're going to gain as much as if you go into. No. I want to learn about the species, about the habitat, about yeah. uh, you know all the complex yeah. uh, behaviours of, of, of you know, of, I say you know, bats that we're talking about. So yeah, I think again, it's that mindset, isn't it? So you know how you go into something is going to really shape. Your learning and understanding. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, in terms of then now you're working, but yeah, you'll shift from this large multinational to um, yeah. Let's run through where you are now. So yes, yeah, so from the large multinational um, engineering company, I went to a, a mid-size uh, and growing a multidisciplinary co company as well, where again I've, I found lots of really inspirational people. Again, who were really um, lovely to to work with and very experienced. So there was lots of you know um, hands-on training through projects. Uh, I was able to project manage my own projects, uh, but obviously kind of starting with, with smaller um, smaller projects. Uh, and as your skill set progresses, you can go on to bigger and bigger projects. So again, I, I gained my dormouse license while I was there. Again, by doing uh, weekend um, training with uh, with a dormouse group in Gloucestershire, doing regular monitoring um, of uh, box you know box checks in, um, in in the woods in, in Gloucestershire, which was really lovely. So again, worked with really really nice people people there, and in my my consultancy skills have progressed there greatly because I was progressing from smaller projects to more and more complex projects with. Uh, you know, multi, uh, multi, multiple uh, con constraints in terms of either species or habitats or licensing needed or uh, constraints with uh, you know services or what what had to be uh, where the where the buildings had to go. So there was lots of learning, um, you know, by um, by working basically, kind of uh, working with more experienced people, shadowing more experienced people, being a second project manager on some really complex um, you know pro projects with multiple constraints. So yeah, just kind of I like that kind of learning because yeah. you're learning from from people who know. The their staff and um, and who can show you how things are done and also but also by being a you know newbie in, in, in a you know in a new job or not knowing exactly everything sometimes you can actually bring that kind of fresh perspective of saying well why is it being done like this actually can challenge you know the the kind of um, standard of, of um, thinking or uh, or approach because you can say it might be wrong, you know. Might yeah. say, you know, this approach might not might not work. But by having that conversation, having people are open to that conversation, it's not somebody saying this is my way and this is how it's being done. But you can actually also have a conversation saying, well, why is it being done like that? Actually, makes you. I, I really like that when I'm talking to to um, more junior colleagues, for instance, who actually will have really valuable insight into some, you know, some areas, for instance, like they're actually they'll be asking very valuable questions. Like why is something being done like this? Why can't it be done like that? And sometimes there are valid reasons why, but it also helps to kind of crystallise in your mind why certain methods have to be followed, like there's a certain methodology, and also some why sometimes you might actually be able to 
depart from um, you know from certain standards because mm -hmm. it actually makes more sense for this particular site to you get better data by um, you know by not always following guidelines because you might be able to you need to kind of customize something for instance so I was really lucky to to, to be working with, with really lovely people um, with, with in, in my career. Gosh, yeah, I think you know it's just. I mean, I encourage anyone to sort of um, you know really. What challenge or ask questions? It's about curiosity. I mean, yeah. again, you know, you know, uh, you know, throughout your uh, your 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 you know formative years, it seems that, you know your question, your curiosity drives you, and I think that's it. There's no, and we say you know, there's no such thing as a stupid it's a question. question. No, no, no. <laughs> it just means you don't know something. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, it's an opportunity to learn. I think again, it's that bringing in that sort of open mindset attitude, really. So. Um, uh, in terms of then, I mean, you, you know, colleagues are extremely important to you by the sounds of it. Then, so you know, you, you know, you, you're learning off these people, um, you know, sharing in experiences and so forth. And um, so uh, now we're coming towards sort of now our time with Wildwood Ecology. So um, you know, what sort of drew you sort of to leave your colleagues behind, should we say, and to move on? Well, they move on, but to, to sort of um, you know change companies then. So, what was that? What was the main reasons for for doing that? It was a really tough decision, Richard, because like I said, I really um, liked working with my colleagues, um, and I liked you know the the, the projects we were working on. Um, but then the focus shifted to towards uh, large infrastructure projects, and um, I I had to work on a. Um, large infrastructure project uh, called East West Rail, um, which was an amazing experience um, to to you know to go through a whole season of, of bat surveys. I was in charge of um, getting data for uh, bat transacts on uh, disused railways and um, operational railways as well, and also static data from from those sections um, that were going to be uh, either brought back into use or, or improved. And I learned a huge amounts of um, stuff um, in you know, organisational skills. I, I really kind of honed those because I had to be really on the ball, you know, like every single day, every single minute. It's just like there was no no let up because if you you know drop something, um, you know, you, you, it was very difficult to kind of to, to pick back up again. So I had to really become you know re even better than I was at organisational um, skills to make sure that everything was running um, as it should have been. We had loads of trans 32 transits if I remember correctly and 64 statics to um, to you know get data from for, for each month yeah. and if you imagine like if mm. you've got you know weather is against you or you don't get access because it's operational railways so there are loads of um, constraints um, and challenges um, that we had to overcome and um, having about like 35 or thereabouts ecologists to um, to you know to um, resource those surveys as well. Um, there was you know was operationally it was, was quite a difficult um, you know thing to do. So I'm really grateful for that opportunity because I learned a lot about myself as well about resilience, uh, what I needed to do as a person to make sure I didn't burn out, and making sure that you know stress um, I was managing kind of to to stay on top of my stress levels. But at the end I also kind of thought that in uh, infrastructure projects. Um, they are, you know, they are a big beast, and uh, you end up, you know, being a small cog in in that big machine of getting data, and then um, getting to a stage where you can use that data to work out what your mitigation and compensation has to be. And I thought I actually would much prefer working on projects which are, you know, small to medium scale rather than infrastructure projects to make sure that I could actually. 
um, influence the design, for instance, easier because um, you know if you are working with architects, for instance, on a smaller site, it's much easier to uh, to get the data and then use that data to influence uh, you know where the houses will go, for instance, or um, is it going to be built on this part of the site, or is it going to be utilising a part of the site where you have a meaty grassland, for instance, rather than you know getting rid of a hedgerow. So I thought actually working on these smaller projects is actually more creative and fits my you know, fits my um, uh, fits fits the way I, I'd like to work better, I think, um, because you've got more influence about the outcome and also about the biodiversity, um, you know, enhancements that we can deliver on those smaller sites because there's usually more scope, yes. um, and and the and the job is more creative because you can actually help those architects who um, who really care about what the building will look like, and you can also help them, you know, help help to show them that if you, uh, you know, in, encourage. Um, you can make the biodiversity better on site by new planting, for instance, or improving connectivity or um, or reciting of, of certain features on, on the site as well. So, um, yeah, I had to had to come to the conclusion that that you know I need to have a job where I can work on those smaller uh, projects where I can influence the design more and and drive the biodiversity gain uh, rather than um, just you know being a, a small cog in a big machine of infrastructure projects. Okay, so uh, that's very interesting. So you know, I, I totally agree that so, you know, there's a lot more creativity involved. And say so you you are, you become a stakeholder yourself within these projects. I think you know you you know you you do put yourself on the line. You know um, you know, and it's one of those things that you can risk. Um, it's one of those. I think some people fear that they're going to be ridiculed because of the suggestions they make, and they're not commercially minded. But I think we forget sometimes that. Um, Everyone is after you know a certain outcome, mm. and these outcomes can actually be aligned. Mm. You know, so you know they want the best outcome in terms of a building, but also the best outcome for biodiversity. And yeah, they may not realise it at the time, but they, they are they are they can be you know certainly aligned there, that synergy between the two. Mm. So so yeah, so take me. Um, so you made that transition um, to a world which we're extremely grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> I could I couldn't ask for a greater uh, you know better colleague so uh, you know I'll get out that I'll get that out there straight away, but uh, uh, um, in terms of then your role, I mean you start let's actually I'll take it back slightly so a little bit of introduction so when Ivy came to work for Wildwood. Um, it was, I think you were here for, was it week, one week? week before lockdown started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so, I mean, you spent one week in an office, yep. uh, <laughs> then straight away to um, uh, remote working. Yep. So, I mean, let's, let's, let's go right back there then. So, in terms of, you know, I'm sure you're excited to start with Wildwood Ecology, but this pandemic started. How did you adjust from that office environment to working from home, how easy was it for you and um, what have you learned, in, in, say in the past 18 months since, because we're now September 2021. Yeah. Um, well, so I was re really grateful to have that one week in the office, at least I could meet the people and, you know, um, figure out all the systems and a new way of working. And do you know, I didn't find it particularly hard because um, I, my role was already changing when I was at my previous um, company. I was a senior ecologist. So I was spending less and less time in the field, which I thought I would, you know, uh, I would miss um, to start with. But not being on constant surveys, um, I didn't mind too much because I was getting plenty of ecology. You know, my, my private time as well. I can spend a lot of time outside and go hiking and running um, in Wales a lot. So um, I didn't particularly miss that. So I was already kind of indoors more than I used to be when I was a consultant. 
Um, and then when we started working from home, I just repurposed my son's bedroom. <laughs> so I at least had a room to, to, to work in with a proper desk and, you know, everything was set up. And um, because we have teams, it doesn't really feel that we are not together with a team anymore. So it just actually feels really natural to talk to people on Teams. Uh, There's Microsoft Teams, yeah. Yeah, or Microsoft Teams, yeah. So uh, we have, you know, constant, you know, check-ins, uh, have a catch-up with people daily. Most most members of the team I talk to at least once a day about, you know, projects we are working on or, you know, some issues to sort out or getting advice or training they need or discussing what needs to be done. We've got workloads meeting where the whole team gets together on Teams again. So it's again, at least we can see each other, you know, on and 2D, um, 2D online. So for me, that tr transition wasn't particularly hard. You didn't miss the commute, for instance. I think you're saving so much time by not having to commute into yeah. to work. And it's a less stressful, um, you know, start to your day as well because you don't have to kind of fight through traffic to get to, to get to work. So um, so the only thing I would, I would say I'd miss would be the uh, training of the junior team is definitely harder when you're doing everything online because you don't have that incidental training of being in a room with them where they can ask lots of questions, where you can explain things easily. They can literally hear you on the phone to clients or they can hear what you talk about with colleagues. You can pick up sort of incidental bits of training from literally just overhearing conversations, for instance, or being able to um, you know, uh, ask something really quickly rather than having to set up a meeting or, or feel like you there's this barrier of having to call somebody. So I think people had to uh, very quickly overcome that barrier because we would not be able to get any work done otherwise if people felt self-conscious about you know, ringing a colleague because they were busy. So I always have an open-door policy and my, and my colleagues know that, that you know, if you've got a problem, then it needs sorting, then just call me. You know? so, um, so I'm very responsive in, in that way and I think that helps to be able to, um, you know, be able to pick up the, the call or, or have a Teams chat with your colleague. So, they don't feel um, isolated if they're working on their own, especially if they're living on their own. You know, so I'm, I'm lucky that I, you know, have a house um, with, with where my family live as well, and I live very close to countryside. So I, I, w I wasn't feeling isolated or lonely uh, during during the pandemic, and I was, and I had a very fulfilling and absorbing uh, job as well, which also helps. I think for people who couldn't work or were furloughed um, or living on their own, that would have been a, or lost loved ones or mm -hmm. were sick, sick or affected by COVID in you know million ways. It's uh, must have been a very different pandemic. So I just count myself, you know, as one of the lucky people who managed to carry on working. Was super busy as well um, because everything carried on in planning and therefore ecology had to had to follow as well. So we were really busy, and um, and I was still lucky that I could meet some of my colleagues or work with my colleagues on some of the surveys I was doing because last year I was still on more surveys than this year as as a principal. So I didn't feel. Uh, that I was uh, missing out on being with the team because we still had plenty of nighttime surveys um, or you know daytime surveys where I had to do some training. So it felt like that the team, you know, uh, cohesion was was quite strong um, last year despite the pandemic because um, the nature of the job is that you know people are working usually in, in twos or, or there's more people on on site. So we always had some surveys where the majority of the team would be on a survey. So um, therefore, you could actually talk to your colleagues in real life rather than just um, online. And I appreciate it must have been much harder for some companies where everything is done online and you never see your colleagues. That must be really tough because you, you, you don't get to meet them. For instance, I just met two of my Welsh colleagues. I've been running the Welsh team since April. And I only just realised that one of them I still haven't met. And the yes. other one I had met about a week ago, and we were just joking that we were on the side with, with my colleague, and we just felt actually this feels like I've known her for, for years, yeah. even just, just through working on teams together because we're in constant contact. So it didn't feel like that 3D with legs um, you know, aspect of being with, with your colleagues was, was missing last year. 
we're just really lucky um, because of the industry we're working in and, and, that, and the team is absolutely fantastic as well. Just really, really lovely people. I just feel really lucky to have landed here, really. Yeah, I, I think that's what makes, you know, um, your, I would say, your anyone's sort of um, time at any company enjoyable. You know, it's the people you work with. Of course, it's the nature of the work as well. I think, you know, it's, it's you know, whether or not, you know, uh, you know, I think we're quite fortunate again that, um, you know, a lot of the work we do, in fact, you know, all the work we do, I think aligns with both our the company mm. values and also personal, personal values, values yeah. too. You know, so I think that's going to be extremely important mm. for a lot of people. Um, and it's unfortunate when those don't align, really. And I think that's when we see people moving, you know, shifting between sort of companies. Um, but um, you're actually right. I mean, I, I, I met one of my colleagues for the first time, yeah, last last week. Mm. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's just that in one way, it wasn't, oh, my word, you know, you know, it's a, yeah, it was an absolute shock to see someone. It was well. I thought I know, you know, I know you yeah, quite exactly. well. It's, <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, it's. I think we've learned a lot over the past eighteen months. Mm. During your time here, you know, you've seen different um, elements of of the way we've been working. A lot of that's actually, you know, we recruited quite a few new people in the space of eighteen months since March twenty twenty. Um, so have you found that? Have you, has it been easier, or has it just been a lot more, you know, or just a, or just a different way of working, really? I'd say it was a different um, method of working um, simply because we had to rely on either phone interviews and then uh, follow them up with, with Zoom interviews. So um, you still get the, um, you know, you still get to see the people and meet the people online. It was probably easier for the people being interviewed because they didn't have to actually get to the interview place. And um, you still get to meet the, you know, the potential new colleagues uh, and make a judgment call on, on whether you like the team or not. And um, when we were recently appointing a, an assistant for the Welsh office, um, we were uh, interviewing the, the, the new person with the Welsh assistants because they'll be working closely with this person and needing to make sure that um, the, new, the new assistant will be a good fit in terms of skills as well as personality. Uh, because they'll be working on, on, on small on, on projects together. It's a small small team, so uh, we needed to make sure that um, the decision was made jointly, and we were interviewing jointly, and also then kind of uh, going through all the interview questions and selection process together. So it was really important to me that the team was involved. So it doesn't feel harder, I, yeah. I think. Where where it might be harder to recruit at the moment is because um, people might be more reluctant to make that change uh, to a new job, um, because it's still mostly remote working. I know we discussed the hybrid working. Um, for, for later on, but at the moment we're still mostly working remotely and meet, seeing each other in the office occasionally or on or on site. So people might be more reluctant to make that move um, unless something is you know either wrong with their with their current role or they have to move for personal reasons. So um, I would say say that having done this myself of having one one week in the office and then working remotely, I hope that that would not put people off um, from applying for new jobs and and uh, exploring new opportunities because. It just goes to show that these 18 months we have learned how to work differently. We don't have to be in the office physically. It's nice to see people in real life, but you can still have a very good creative discussion about projects and solving an issue um, online um, without actually being in the same room. Yeah. For some things, it's definitely better to be in the same room because you, you might have, um, you know, it's easier, it might be an easier conversation or uh, some people might feel, um, you know, more able to uh, put their point across. But um, conversely, I, I find that with our team, we are all um, you know, really uh, free and easy with our thoughts and very open. And um, you know, so we have a very good you know, to and fro on, on, you know, uh, on, online to, um, you know, where we can discuss something. And I don't, feel, I don't think anybody kind of feels not able to either pick up the, you know, um, 
well, um, recall on, on yeah, teams, yes. so you don't have to pick up the phone anymore, um, or, or just being able to contribute. So I yeah. think also what, what taught us um, last 18 months, um, a flexibility, I think. Mm -hmm. Flexibility is key. You need to be able to be really agile, both as a business and as a person, to be able to deal with challenges. Uh, and it's just a figuring out a different way of working. So we are kind of resilient people. We have lots of different skills, and it's just you know working out which of these um, skills is best best suited to to the new to the new way of working. I think it's here to stay. Yeah. People really enjoy you know the mix of working from home and in the office, and then seeing people on site. So, um, yeah, it's 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 yeah it's it's a really good good mix, I think. And I think that, uh, I, I totally agree with you clearly, and uh, I think I mean I think within our industry, I think there could be a risk. Depending on the company, you know, you can see like in larger corporations, for instance, that there is a sort of top-down directive of saying, right, we want people back in the office now, and not really giving that full consideration to actually, no, we've changed, we, we you know we've we've demonstrated we can work differently, but there's a sort of um, yeah this memo from above saying, okay, well now pandemic's over, please not, mm -hmm. but uh, you know this uh, pandemic's over, let's bring everyone back to the office. And um, you know these are the data and sort of dictating when people will come into the office, and I think that's when we're going to see leave roles. We go actually, no, no. I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot more there's a there's a larger, larger case for that flexibility, and that includes both on the employer as much as the employee. Yes. And I think um, you know it's going to be finding that match between employer and employee uh, really. So what fits your style uh, in terms of your your, your life, should we say? Because we, people go on about work-life balance, and I, 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 I don't think there's a work-life balance. Uh, I think there's a work-life fit, mm -hmm. and sometimes you know, because work and life are can be, you know, they're, they're, they're difficult to extract from one another. Can be the same, and if you're lucky, your your work is something that you love doing, and it is part of your yeah. life. So I've always been aiming to have a kind of job where it doesn't feel like I'm just going to work and you know uh, you know phoning it in it's something I deeply care about and, and therefore I want to do my best and it does you know it does permeate things I do in my personal life as well mm. because you care about the projects you're working on and there's a certain way of thinking as well so it for me it's not just like a nine to five and then you kind of stop thinking about work or um, you know, but it's also because it's flexible hours, especially in ecology. You know, it doesn't make any sense in my mind to have people in the office the whole time when you know that half their time will be spent, you know, on site. So why yes. should they be in the office, yeah. you know, for the whole day um, if, if they know they've got, you know, a site visit um, in the afternoon? So they might as well work from home for a couple of hours and then they go to a site visit in, in the evening. So I think people are waste, wasting less time. I noticed from talking to friends and and colleagues as well, and ex-colleagues, you know, people waste less time uh, by by commuting. Uh, it's also less expensive, and also in terms of carbon footprint, which we all, you know, yeah. our company, you know, mm -hmm. cares about. Um, so uh, it's, you know, it's, again, like it's a, as far as I can see, it's a win-win situation. It's also more, you can be more focused at home, because if, if you've got the right working environment, which I appreciate, again, some people might not, if they're living in a shared house or, or working in a, in a room with a number of people. But you know, for me at home, it's a deep focus time where I, I know I can get something done quickly because I'm not going to be distracted by, you know, um, stuff that you would go in the office like phones ringing or pe people chatting. But also then knowing that we've got the uh, space and time to either on Teams to have a chat with people about you know colleagues if we need to, either just a social chat or or talking about projects, having a workloads meeting, and also you know being being able to also meet when we need to on site or potentially in the office as well. So I think hybrid working will be. Really important. I think where people will 
have you heard you had this big big resign that everybody yes. talks talks yes. about where people are reevaluating their their life because of the pandemic and thinking do I actually want to do this kind of a job do I want to work for this particular company or do I need um, something that's going to be more flexible or something that's better suited to my skills or where I want to live do I want to move you know do I want to be somewhere where if another um, you know lot of um, restrictions land um, we might be able to actually you know, access the countryside easier because or maybe have a patch of land where we can grow something you know so more, more self-sufficient so people have been um, reevaluating um, how they work and whether the work actually fits into their life so actually have this you know work-life balance or fit or what we want to call it because work is such a huge part of our life it yes. needs to, needs to work for yeah. us it needs to be something that we care about and also that you know that is enjoyable and that you you know, actually care about what you what you have achieved at the end of the day rather than just you know shutting your computer and that's your job mm -hmm. done so um, I think where people might be more prepared to move perhaps to a different company would be if the um, if the bosses are enforcing the return to the uh, return to the offices maybe out of mistrust or I don't, I don't know why that happens where people say you must come back to work or, or whether they just think that teams are more cohesive when they are always together um, or I don't know what the re reasons are you know for those decisions but I think it needs to be managed carefully because um, we have shown for the last 18 months that it's perfectly possible and it's actually also really good and beneficial to the company and to the people to have a, a you know work where you can work from home and then you see your colleagues when you need to rather than being forcing everybody to come back to, to the office and working just from the office yeah I, I absolutely agree I, I think there's a you know there's not going to be one model for every no, company. You know, every no, company is going to different. work this out for themselves. I am sure. Um, you know, so you know the fact that yeah we're adopting that hybrid working model when we start to come back, but it it comes from looks from yourselves, Ivy. That's um, you know you go you know how your team works best. Mm. I don't. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, I, you know. I, I, I sit in this office by myself. <laughs> Uh, but you know it's how the team works best and what's the best for the team and or clearly you know the best outcome driven results as well so the fact that 90% of the time we'll be working from home maybe 10% in a location could be an office could be could be, could be a Starbucks or, so, or a more ethic so uh, you know, it's it's where you meet to to get that um, um you know that that some um, collaboration. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's going to be important. But I, yeah, I think you know very much. So in terms of your role, then, so let's talk about the role of principal ecologist and, and senior. You know, I, I, yeah, senior members of the team as well. So what do you think are the great qualities of a, a you know a manager and a leader within an ecological consultancy? I'd say you need to be a really good people person um, and being able to communicate really well. So it's not just about the technical skills that you, know, you might be a brilliant technical ecologist, but if you can't impart that those skills to you know, to your team and train them um, and manage them and make them you know feel like their career is important to you, um, then it's uh, then it's not going to work because you might be a technical ecologist, but um, you will not be able to take the team with you. So I think for me, it's communicating with my team daily, which is why I'm you know, saying that teams, um, you know, is, is really important to us to be able to communicate on teams. Having a, having a laugh as well, you know, have, having, a, having a good time with your colleagues is really important to make sure that, um, you know, the work is enjoyable as well. Uh, being approachable as well, so people can come to you when, you, when, you got, when they've got an issue to solve, 
or have a chat about you know strategy they need to need to need to think think about so I would say uh, those kind of skills are super important uh, that's kind of building obviously on your on your technical you've not got to be technically competent yeah. as well obviously but that's kind of those kind of skills you are building upon um, earlier on in your in your career with your consultancy skills as well as uh, ecology skills but I would say those people skills um, are really important and then obviously business management as well and business development which which comes into it as well seem so to be able to um, you know talk to the clients uh, make sure that they have a good outcome for for the project that they that they need in a way that doesn't compromise your ethics or or the project itself so um Making sure that you also choose your clients carefully, which I really like about Wildwood, that we, we can you know say no to um, projects which are not suitable because of our you know, ethics or values and vision doesn't doesn't quite fit. So um, you know so that that's really important as well. So I would say yeah, definitely kind of taking the team with you, uh, and people people management skills are super important. Yeah, no, those are great. Uh, I mean, I mean. I Obviously, you can relate to that, uh, you know, that, so, because we are currently, I mean, we are currently facing a little bit of a shortage in the whole industry mm. of senior ecologists for one reason, either they're leaving the industry or there's just fewer of those people around. I think um, someone pointed out to me the other day that, um, you know, we are still suffering or feeling the effects of that 2008 recession. Yeah. You know, the fact that, um, particularly, you know, I mean, it's, a lot of companies were, including the majority of companies, were affected by the, the recession itself. Um, particularly the uh, like multinational company, the larger say companies there who did have to shed uh, um, quite a few employees and restructure absolutely. And um, that's probably a better word than yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> restructure and um, and regroup and think about what's you know because they're commercial entities. So you know, I think we're seeing we're seeing that those people who may have been in a, their first position at that company in two thousand eight would now technically be senior mm. now in twenty twenty one principal, and we're lacking those people. Yeah. I think that's another area why we should, there is a shortage with our industry, as well as people reevaluating their lives and thinking, do you know what? Okay, this company does not align with with my own. I'm moving on, and they may go into a completely different related field. Mm. You know. Um, no pun intended there on the field, you know, job there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, hope, I think what we're seeing now is that, you know, we, we have currently a position opening in South Wales, for instance, which we're trying to fill. And uh, I, I think now this hybrid model means that you don't technically need to be right next to the office, no. you know, the location. As long as you're in, you can communicate with the team, you've got those skills and qualities, I think then you can lead a team and yes, ideally be within, <laughs> within the, the area you're working in. But um, yeah, how can you see going forward in terms of you know, recruitment for senior uh, uh, members of the team? Well, I think as I've proved for the last five months, you can actually uh, be very effective as a team leader um, and doing everything remotely because I've been managing the Welsh team since um, April, uh, May time and everything's been done remotely. So. You can get to know the team and get to know the projects really well. It does help to have um, area knowledge as well, so at least the Welsh pronunciations as well. <laughs> it's, right. it's really yes. useful. My Welsh has progressed a lot since I started working in the Welsh team. So I think um, I would say if you're looking for a new job, uh, try to find a company that is closely aligned to your values and visions to make sure that you don't have to compromise your ethics. 
So, uh, for instance, we don't work on HS2, uh, which uh, I really welcome. That's a, you know, there's a lot of work to be had on HS2, and we choose actively choose not to work on those kind of projects because we don't agree with them. And having had to work on HS2, I really appreciate that you know we don't work on projects that the team are not comfortable with in terms of um, you know their their own personal vision and values as well as the company vision and values. So. Uh, looking for uh, for a new um, new new job, I would say start by looking at what kind of work that company does. Uh, is it a big company? Do you like working on infrastructure projects or big residential um, projects, or do you prefer working on smaller, um, you know, small to mid-size projects where you have perhaps more control over the outcome in terms of biodiversity and, and species outcomes as well? So. Uh, that's where I would focus my uh, my search on if I were looking for a, for a job now, looking for a company where I can see myself growing. So for instance, we have a career progression framework, which uh, thank, thanks to your hard work, Richard, is really brilliant. So it, it means that all the members of, of the team now have a very clear idea about where they are at now and also what they need to do to get to the next level in terms of both promotion as well as salary increases. And it's really nice to be able to discuss that during, we've got one-to-ones, uh, which we do regularly with, with each member of the staff every, every three months. So we've got a really fantastic career progression uh, framework in, in place, which means that people are not going to be bypassed for promotion just because they're somebody else more senior you know, in the team, because you can see straight away that that person's working at a level you know, above um, their, their current um, you know, job title or whether they are due uh, you know, raise, a uh, salary raise because their, their skills have progressed uh, hugely in the last you know, few months and, and what they are asked to, you know, to do and what they have an opportunity to do is, is uh, way above the, the you know, salary they used to have you know, a few, few months ago. So I would say that would encourage people to, uh, to look at um, our, our company as well because it's, uh, it's quite unique I think in terms of um, uh, the career progression aligning with values as well as um, you know uh, how what projects we, we choose to work on and giving people the opportunity to um, you know project manage from the very start of, of the um, you know, of, of their career journey so they're able to project manage smaller projects with with support they're able to do quotes and invoices and uh, liaison with the clients as well so obviously we wouldn't uh, put them in a position where they have to do something super complicated to start with where they will be out of their depth but they will be starting with smaller projects and then building up their skills as they go along so it's absolutely amazing to see like you know, the progression people have made since I joined the team 18 months ago and how much more able they are and how much more uh, confident they, they have you know that they are since um since we started working with this new career progression framework and also that we are able to then target their training for instance we can see what training courses they might need to go on or what in-house training they need to do we also do um in-house cpd um, sessions for for the team where um, whoever, if you identify that there is an area that um, our colleagues are not um, confident about or there is something they don't know, we just think, well, just let's do a lunchtime session and, and have a you know, training session or send somebody on a training course and then they can report back and train, um, you know, um, do shadow stuff, uh, learning from, from, from peers and also have peer discussions where we discuss projects. Uh, strategies for mitigation and compensation for instance what's gone well what's gone badly you mm -hmm. know because that's really important in terms of your learning like you learn from your mistakes to make sure you, do, you don't do them or other people can learn from your mom your mistakes to make sure they don't do them so we try to do that kind of uh, peer learning as well um, in a team to make sure that people have the opportunity to um, you know to, to progress in their career and also um, recently for instance I, I had a um, 
there's a one, one colleague who identified that um, she would like to get more exposure to uh, non-BAT um, uh, projects and she's going to be now not quite seconded to the Welsh team but she's going to be doing more work on Welsh projects because she lives fairly close so she can do some site visits um, and also able to support the Welsh team with um, report writing so we are able to also offer that kind of flexibility of working across different sort of habitats and different species groups as well so the Welsh projects are slightly different to the um, English ones that we have, there's more council work and, and the work is it's just different, you know, mixed bag um, yeah. in terms of habitats um, and not, you know, not just bats um, or, or different types of, you know, um, bat projects as well in Wales. So uh, because we can do this and we had just talked to this colleague and, you know, we have figured out that she needs exposure to make sure that she gets different kinds of skills, she's working different kinds of licences as well and we've got the flexibility of having the two offices and two teams that work closely together that we can almost like second people within the company to, to, to work on, on, on different projects or help each other out more. So it's like a more one team sort of approach where people can pick up each other's work if somebody's got more time than they help, help the, the Welsh team for instance. So it, it's working really well. So I would say that flexibility of, of the teams, it doesn't matter where you're based, you can be helping you know, either on Welsh projects or English projects, it's quite special. Um, because you can also work on different, you know, your licences for instance, you can have, you know, working on licences in tandem with NRW as well as NE, that, that's quite quite unusual as well for a company, and, and that fact of being able to choose our projects that we work on, so every workload meeting we have, we go through quote requests that we got from clients, and then we sift through um, quotes that we can take on because we've got, you know, time and capacity to do them, availability, but also projects that just don't fit. Um, for whatever reason, it could be they're too far away, and it's you know we can't be driving that far because of our carbon footprint. We are you know, we have declared, so we are conscious of our carbon footprint as well. Looking at things like surveyor fatigue, for instance, mm -hmm. we don't want to be sending people on sites far away because a they're not learning anything whilst they're driving, and also it's not very good use of anybody's time, and it's not cost effective for the client. So we try to kind of choose um, you know projects that way as well, and also in terms of projects that we believe in, you know people that we actually want to work with because they actually listen to our advice rather than having to fight the architects or the project manager for every scrap of biodiversity um, you know, gain. If you're working with people who are already open to all that and already enthusiastic about aligning, you know, being, being pragmatic and being commercial does not mean that you can't deliver a beautiful project. To my mind, they are, they're, not, you know, um, they're, they're not quite interchangeable, but they can work in tandem and they're not exclusive, exclusive. You can have a project that is lovely for people and also very good for, for the environment and biodiversity and, and the species. So uh, because we have choosing them quite carefully, it means that the work is you know enjoyable. We, we actually work with people who you know who care about the same kind of stuff. So that, that makes a huge difference as well for the team. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to recognise that uh, you know, some people do treat work as it's uh, you you're either you know either you know fluffy in terms of oh you're all for the biodiversity or you're commercial. But actually, I mean, you can be both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. that's it. It's, a, it's not. Totally. It's not. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, either or. No, exactly. No. I think it's and. Yeah. You know, you can can be looking out for biodiversity and being commercial about it at the same time because you know, companies. You know, we are. You know, all companies. We are a B corporation. It doesn't mean that um, you know we sacrifice all our profits. Mm -hmm. You know, we you know we are a profitable company. So that's important to us. Hence, it gives because it gives security to. All of us, you know, why, you know, it's it's important that we do make that profit, but it's what we do with the profits. I think mean, that's that's going to be one one of the reasons why I think a lot of people come here and and, and it's, we quite transparent with what we do with our profits, 
Um, but also transparency, I said that career framework as well, it's important. And every company, I mean, let's put it this way, this career framework document and all the things we've been talking about have come from pain. They've come from, they've, they've come from an element of, we've got that wrong. Mm. It's come from actually, okay, well, we know, you know we've lost a few people, uh, why do we lose those people? Um, let's make it better for you know for, for people that once you know that are here now and are coming on board to us. So it's come from a place of yeah yeah um, you know wanting to help um, both biodiversity but also you know the built environment too. We mentioned about um, you know work-life balance and work-life fit. So how do you manage your own time then you know nowadays? Um, well, my role has changed um, drastically since last year. I, when I was a senior, I was out on site more with, with colleagues, um, whereas now I'm more predominantly I'm, I'm indoors, uh, you know, managing the teams and, um, and running, running uh, the teams. So I have a hard stop at 7pm um, um, to make sure that I'm not working uh, you know, very long hours and also um, managing my time by delegating uh, things that I don't need to do myself to the team, which is also in terms of their career progression is very good because they can get to do things that either new, new tasks they can you know learn or new skill they can pick up. So I try not to do everything myself. I try not to hold on to projects or, or, or to tasks to myself because there's only one of me. I can't, I can't mm. do everything mm. even if I splice yeah. myself three times. So uh, I learned very early on that I cannot do the job by doing everything myself. Part of my role is to mentor and to bring on the team in terms of their career progression and their skills. And that involves delegating tasks and teaching somebody to do something new. It might take longer to start with, but uh, they will then eventually be able to do that task themselves, which will free up my time and they learn new skills so everybody's happy. So um, I learned, I, I, time, I manage my time um, by uh, chunking things, by maybe doing things that, you know, that I can do myself and delegating to other members of the team. Having a hard stop really helps because it means I can go for a walk um, or you know, go to the allotment or go for a run um, in the evening, spend some time with the family. Also, uh, I have a, a hard and fast rule about doing a lunchtime walk, for instance, I always step away from my computer. Uh, so I have an hour off for lunch. Uh, again, mostly it's non-negotiable unless I've got loads of meetings on or you know, we are doing interviews or something like that. But I generally speaking switch the computer off uh, and then go off to the heavens, um, just my local little uh, valley up the, up the road and try not to think about work and I, I come back you know, in a very different um, you know, um, frame of mind because I'm more relaxed, I'm more focused in the afternoon. So sometimes taking that time out actually means that uh, we are more focused afterwards rather than mm. temptations to carry on and plough on through all your you know tasks you have to achieve for that day but by recharging and uh, let, letting your brain switch off giving your eyes a rest as well thinking about something else listening to bird song is absolutely amazing a bit of physical exercise is really great as well so i find my afternoons are much better once i've been for a walk um, and then um, I always encourage the team as well uh, to make sure that they log their hours accurately. So we have a timesheet system where everybody logs their hours and that's to me super important because we can see uh, how many hours people are working, which sounds you know, silly, but you know, it means that we can monitor over time and uh, overwork to make sure that people actually are able to recognise themselves that they've gone over their hours that week and it could be uh, that they have you know, too much stuff on, uh, they had to squeeze an extra bat survey because the weather be the week before was, was rubbish and we had to postpone a survey. Or it could be that they got too many projects on and somebody else in a team perhaps might have more time or flexibility to do projects instead of them or write a report. 
and then we also have a rule about taking toil. So in, in Wildwood, which I really like, the, you know, the, 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 the reason I like Wildwood as well, and I chose to work here uh, as, as well, is that there is a proper toil policy that means that people can work overtime if, it, if, if it's needed to make sure that we can get the surveys done and the reports out on time, but also the expectation is that we take our toil, that it's not just accrued and then it's on, on paper as a policy but that people cannot take the time because they're just too busy. So we actually monitor overwork through the timesheets and then uh, encourage people to book their toil not just at the end of a season when they're already tired um, and potentially at risk of burnout but throughout the season when they take say Friday afternoon off or take a day off in the middle of the week. I've again I, and also try to model good behaviour to the team like last week I had Thursday and Friday off as, as my toll days because I, I needed a time off, went to Snowdonia so um, it's, it's really good to for senior management to model this kind of behaviour to the junior team that it's not just on paper we say toll is there, take it and then they see that the managers don't which then puts the pressure on them to carry on working thinking that this is how it's done to prove their worth or prove their, you know, prove how um, keen they are, especially for the more junior mem members of the team or seasonal staff, they try to kind of prove prove themselves in that role. So I think it's really important that senior management models the, um, the approach to prevention of burnout and making sure the work carries on being enjoyable by uh, taking their time off, uh, time off in lieu when it's due and to make sure that they don't get ill. I just want to wrap a few things up now, so you've been very generous with your time. <laughs> so looking back on your career, I mean, if you had your time again, what sort of advice would you give yourself going forward, looking as a career, perhaps as an ecological consultant? Um, so what sort of a career advice would you give you, um, give you looking back? Um, when I talk to people, young people or, you know, or early career ecologists um, at the moment, I usually tell them not to specialise too early. I think it's really good to, um, to, to get a broader understanding of, of what ecology can mean. Uh, for some people it could be going into academia and they love doing research because that's where their you know, interests lie and they're passionate about um, getting the data and uh, finding, finding out new things and progressing ecology or, you know, or, or science in that way by, by learning something new. Through, through trials and, um, and that kind of data gathering. For some people, uh, going into conservation will be really useful because um, they like working with people or species, target species or with habitats. They like the hands-on approach of actually seeing some, like a, I still you know, go past a hedgerow we have created with my volunteers like you know, 10 years later and it's a lovely bushy big hedgerow where they, there wasn't one and now bats have connectivity and you've got dormice in it. So it's, kind of, it's one mm. of those, it's really, it's going to be very satisfactory to, you know, to, to be working in that kind of environment and also enthusing the, the new uh, generation of, of, um, you know, of, of people who care about the environment and new ecologists and also working with community groups which is, which is hugely um, you know, satisfactory as a kind of satisfying as, as, as a job and for some people consultancy will be a good, a good mix as well because you can still do the, uh, the data gathering which is your science, science, you know, science hat on you still have to do your uh, engagement, not necessarily of sometimes with community engagements if you've got big projects on. Sometimes it's engagement of the stakeholders, like uh, your architects or clients, um, you know, the, the wider community about the, the project you're working on, um, and and you and you still kind of can can deliver something beautiful. So you can have that hat on as well, like the the um, design and uh, improving biodiversity on on site. So it really much very much depends on knowing yourself. Uh, what, where, which way your passion lies? I would say follow, follow your heart. You know, so you'll know which of those three kind of broad strands will, will suit your uh, personality better as well. Like if you are 
not that you know if you are an introverted person who, who doesn't you know get on that well with you know big groups for instance or, or speaking public speaking for instance fills you with dread then maybe consultancy might not be the you know the best way forward because you have to be forward facing all the time with clients delivering information delivering bad you know um, bad news sometimes mm -hmm. in, in a good way so that might not be a you know best um, role for you or again like you might not be very very happy in a community sort of facing role either for that reason so maybe research might be uh, you know better better for you so i think i would say knowing yourself would be really good uh, to to know where your, which way your passion and, and skills skills are aligned knowing what values you have as well is super important to to know what you care about you know why do you actually want to go into ecology which of those three strands and and why you actually you know want, want to be an ecologist and then um i'd also say i've done specialize too early in terms of uh, if you become a consultant, don't go down the very narrow route straight away. One of my ex-bosses gave me very good advice, he said, it's best to be uh, all-round ecologist to start with, and then you have a bottom specialism on top. Once you kind of once you covered your base, you know all the bases, and you, you are a competent ecologist, then you kind of can, and, and then you can also help to figure out where your passion lies within ecological consultancy. For me, you know, it's bats. I, you know, I love bat work. But if for other people, it could be invertebrates or something. But if you specialise just in invertebrates to ver at the very start of your career, that then means that you are closing yourself off to everything else mm -hmm. that would be available. And you don't really know that there might be something else that you would also enjoy or enjoy even more, but you have closed your, closed that kind of like um, avenue to yourself because you specialised uh, too early. So I would say, yeah, don't specialise too early. Know yourself. Uh, follow your heart, your passion, uh, because it's a long time you have to work until <laughs> yeah. you retire. So yeah. might as well do something, you know, really productive and useful and nourishing with with that time. Absolutely great. Well, that's great advice. Thank you. Vee. And just to just to wrap up into the final ints, if people want to actually contact you, maybe gain a bit more information about what you what we've been talking about today, um, you know, career advice. I mean, how best can people reach you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so hit me up for advice on LinkedIn. I often unofficially mentor people on LinkedIn. People come to me for advice about you know, how to get into uh, ecology consultancy, what kind of things they should look at, what kind of licenses would be useful. So yeah, just uh, message me. I'm, I'm more than happy to you know, to have a chat. Um, you don't have to work well the woods for me to be able to give you career advice. If you want to come and join us, that would be also brilliant. I mean, I'm quite happy to give you know just advice about how we operate as well, how we work. If people want to have more 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 advice about you know what the team is like, what kind of projects we work on, what B Corp means, for instance, we still get people mm, asked yes. about B Corp as well. Um, you know, how that affects our day-to-day -day, uh, operations. Um, so yeah, I'm more than more than happy to give advice um, on on the phone or even set up something on on Teams. No problem. Yeah, wonderful. Well, Ivy Salbova, thank you so much for joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast. Thanks for having me, Richard. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour, so stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.